Welcome everyone to Ask Anarchan. I'm your host, Joel Hool, and this is our podcast series where we sit down and talk with our experts about their work here at Natural Resources Canada, or Anarchan for short. On this episode, we're talking earthquakes. We have a seismologist who'll explain what causes earthquakes, where they're more likely to occur, and who'll answer the big question, can we predict them? If you're new to the show, we call this series Ask Anarchan because we want to hear from you and learn what interests you about the world around us. With Ask Anarchan, we share with you not only the types of science that we do, but also the reasons why we do them and how they relate to your life. So, at the end of the episode, if you have any questions on today's topic, or on science in general, head to Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskAnarchan. Our experts will do their best to answer all your questions. We usually release an episode of Ask Anarchan on the first Tuesday of each month, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Okay, let's meet our guest. Our guest is earthquake seismologist John Cassidy from the Geological Survey of Canada. John, thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you, Joel. Before we dive too deep, um, let's start with the basics. Can you explain to us exactly what an earthquake is? Sure. Uh, An earthquake is the sudden release of energy that's accumulated along a fault zone. Uh, The energy may be stored for years or decades or or even centuries. And that energy um, that takes a long time to accumulate is released in the matter of seconds or or minutes when an earthquake occurs. In a nutshell, that's what an earthquake is. It's movement along a fault zone. Uh, Most earthquakes result from the movement of tectonic plates, these giant plates that make up the surface of the earth. Uh, These plates are moving at about the same speed that your fingernails grow, which is somewhere between a few centimeters and maybe 10 centimeters a year. Um, But the plates at the surface, the rocks tend to stick together. They're locked together along a fault zone, storing energy. So these earthquakes, I guess the question of the day is, can we predict them? Uh, Well, the the short answer is no. There's currently no proven consistent method of predicting earthquakes. So we, we um, simply can't do that. And of course, earthquake prediction is, you know, is really stating specifically where, uh, sort of within a limited geographical area, where an earthquake will occur, when it will occur, and how large of that earthquake will be. So um, the formal definition of earthquake prediction, that's uh, simply not possible at, at this time. And people, of course, have been trying for um, for a long, long time to predict earthquakes. And, and, you know, there have been, in some areas, reports of animal behavior changing before an earthquake. Uh, but again, nothing has been consistent in all locations at all times. Uh, so there, at this time, there's, there's no way to predict earthquakes. I see. So what it is uh, exactly that we do here at NRCAN regarding earthquakes? Yeah, well, we, we, there are a few things that we know absolutely work to minimize the impact of earthquakes. And that's really what we are working on, is we want to minimize the impact of future large earthquakes. We know that they've happened in Canada in the past. We know that they'll happen again in the future. And two of the, uh, the best proven methods of reducing the impact of, of earthquakes is one is through um, building codes, building codes, bridge codes, dam codes. So codes and 
regulations that are used by engineers and, and um, emergency managers, decision makers. So buildings, bridges, dams are designed to withstand the shaking that uh, is expected during a future earthquake, whether that earthquake happens in the next year or the next decade or, or even the next century. Uh, if the infrastructure is designed to withstand the shaking, that is one of the very best ways to minimize the impact of future earthquakes. And so the research that we're doing here, Natural Resources Canada, Geological Survey of Canada, is really to improve our earthquake hazard models. It's to understand what we can expect during future earthquakes. So what type of shaking, uh, where are earthquakes most likely to occur, how large, um, how often, which is really a key question. Um, you know, is a large earthquake every 10,000 years or every 1,000 years or every 50 years? So understanding how often these large earthquakes might occur. And, and ultimately, how will the ground shake? And that's, that's the information that engineers need. How, how is the ground going to shake during this future earthquake? So um, the earthquake hazard models that feed directly into our building codes and bridge codes, that's really our key uh, area of research. Uh, another area that um, that we may talk about in a bit is uh, earthquake early warning, and that's another way, a, sh- a surefire way, of minimizing the impact of, of earthquakes and the impact on on communities. So we can't predict them, but we can make sure that we have the infrastructure in place and the plans in place to uh, address um, the earthquakes and protect our, protect ourselves from the earthquakes when they come. Correct. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So um, if, if buildings and bridges uh, are designed to withstand the shaking, then it doesn't matter when that shaking happens. If, if we know that the infrastructure will survive and be usable after an earthquake, um, that's, that's really um, the best way to protect ourselves from earthquakes. And we've seen that in large earthquakes around the world, recent large earthquakes in Chile and Japan and Mexico. Um, building codes work. Bridge codes work. Um, so we know that if infrastructure is designed to withstand shaking, it will. And, and we, you know, we saw this. I was with the Canadian Association of Earthquake Engineers in, in Chile after the 2010 earthquake. And what was really very clear was building codes work. Um, buildings that were designed to withstand the shaking, they withstood the shaking. The older buildings that weren't designed uh, or, or structures that aren't uh, are very susceptible to earthquakes didn't fare didn't do uh, nearly as well during the, those earthquakes in Chile and and also in Japan. So, what regions of the country in Canada are more susceptible to earthquakes? Uh, well, the the um, the most frequent and the largest earthquakes occur along the west coast, and and the reason for that is um, this is an active plate boundary. So this is where those tectonic, those giant tectonic plates uh, meet. So the North American plate that most of us live on, the Pacific plate just to the west of, um, of North America, they actually are in contact just to the west of Haida Gwaii, and that's the Queen Charlotte Fault, and also along the San Andreas Fault that everyone knows in, in California. And then in between the San Andreas and the Queen Charlotte Fault, we have a subduction zone. This is the Cascadia subduction zone. This is where an ocean plate is being created 
uh, at a series of, of undersea volcanoes just west of Vancouver Island. So it's a very young ocean plate. It's being pushed towards North America. And when it reaches the, uh, just before it reaches the coastline, it actually sinks beneath North America. So we have a, a, an ocean plate about 60 kilometers beneath Vancouver, about 50 kilometers beneath Victoria, uh, and it's abduction zones where the world's largest earthquakes occur, like Japan, like Chile, like Alaska, like Mexico. Uh, and so this is where, where these tectonic plates meet and store energy, this is where most of Canada's earthquakes, about 70% of our earthquakes occur along the West Coast through British Columbia and through the Yukon. Uh, but we see earthquakes all across Canada. We've seen large earthquakes and damaging earthquakes in the Arctic off of um, Baffin Island, for example, in 1933. We've seen large earthquakes in um, offshore Newfoundland, again, magnitude 7 or larger. And the Quebec, uh, St. Lawrence, and uh, Ottawa Valley is another seismic hotspot in Canada where we've seen large earthquakes in the past. Um, Charlevoix has experienced a, a number of large, as large as magnitude 7 earthquakes, uh, and as recently as 1925. So the, the largest, the most frequent are along the West Coast, but we also have large earthquakes uh, through across much of the country. And uh, in those areas, it really is the, um, uh, the faults, ancient faults, that are being reactivated by stress that's being transmitted through the North American plate. So, you know, in fact, much of Canada is, uh, is, is earthquake country, and, and the province most likely to experience earthquakes is British Columbia, uh, the province least likely to experience an earthquake is Manitoba. You mentioned earlier in one of your answers um, about the early warning. Um, did you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, early warning is is really um, taking advantage of the fact that waves from an earthquake take time to to travel. So the um, the waves that generally cause damage are shear waves or side to side shaking. And those waves travel at about three to four kilometers each second. So if an earthquake occurs 100 kilometers away from you, it takes the, the, those waves 30 seconds or so to travel from, from the fault to, to where you are. So there, that, in a nutshell, is, is the early warning. If you can very rapidly detect earthquakes and push out the information through the internet or through satellites, energy traveling at the speed of uh, speed of light, essentially, uh, then that information can arrive much faster than the seismic waves uh, that are traveling through rock. For example, here in Victoria, if I, uh, and this happened, I was on the phone with someone in Vancouver. They felt an earthquake, and it takes time for uh, those waves to travel from Vancouver to Victoria. So the farther away you are, potentially the more warning time and um, we're not talking about hours or days of warning. We're talking about seconds or perhaps a few minutes. So it's, it's not a lot of time, but it really is just taking advantage of um, that it takes seismic waves some time to travel through the rock. And um, it, it requires 
lot of instrumentation, a lot of instruments on the ground, automated processes that will locate the earthquake and say how large it is and whether or not it's capable of generating strong and damaging shaking, um, and then pushing that information out very quickly. So those 30 seconds, uh, what does it allow someone to do? Yeah. So, and, and it's, um, you know, it really varies. So if the earthquake is, is very close to you, uh, it may only be a few seconds. So, you know, early warning doesn't work in all situations. It, it doesn't work for an earthquake right beneath your feet. Um, uh, but the farther away, you know, the more, the more time you have, and it may be five seconds, it may be 30 seconds, it may be a minute. Um, but w- what it allows you to do is, is to, for individuals, you can move, you can get under your desk and get prepared for that strong shaking that's on its way. So even if it's a few seconds, it gives you that warning to get under a desk, drop that, drop cover and hold on. It's, it, it's an opportunity to stop elevators so that people can get off the elevator uh, before the strong shaking hits. Um, fire halls, it's an opportunity to automatically open the garage doors at fire halls so that fire trucks have, um, can get out and, um, before the strong shaking hits. Or certainly the door won't be jammed in place. Um, so there are a lot of you know, very practical, uh, simple applications that will make a big difference after, after an earthquake. But the biggest, the biggest difference is really um, safety for, for individuals to move away from windows, to uh, move away from heavy objects that might fall over, and um, providing people with an opportunity to, to protect themselves from, from falling items which is, is really one of the biggest um, impacts from earthquakes in situations or building construction like we have here in Canada. Actually, this is a good segue. Um, when uh, I found out that I was going to interview you, I sent out uh, a notice on Twitter to see if anyone had any questions. And someone named Nathan got back to me. And what he wants to know is, what is the protocol um, when there's an earthquake? Because um, we've got a lot of information given to us, like go in a doorway, don't go in a doorway, go under a table, don't go under a table. So what should people be doing uh, for their own safety if they found themselves in, uh, in the middle of an earthquake? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you really want, it's very simple, you, you want to uh, get under a desk, under a table, under something that will protect you from falling items. That's the most common type of damage is items falling um, so you want to uh, drop, cover, and hold on. It's important to hold on because during these very large earthquakes, the shaking is strong enough to move items around, uh, and so you don't want to be under a desk that moves away from you. So you, you're holding on to that desk, or you're holding on to that table. So it really is um, protecting yourself from falling items or from breaking glass. So it's, uh, that's the, that's the, the message. And of course, ShakeOut has some really good resources, but the, the, the drill that we do every year uh, is just to practice that. It's just to rehearse that drop cover and hold on. So if our listeners want to find out more on earthquakes, earthquake research, or earthquake preparedness, uh, what resources are available to them online? Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, great information out there. So, of course, for the seismology, for the earthquakes, uh, Earthquakes Canada website, all one word, uh, has the, the latest earthquake information. 
you can dial up and see shaking at seismic stations across Canada um, or publication list for, for all of the research that we do. That's all available on, on the website. Um, you can follow Canada Quakes on Twitter. So Canada Quakes uh, will actually issue within about five minutes information on any earthquake larger than magnitude four anywhere across Canada. So that's really the fastest way to, to, um, to get information on recent Canadian earthquakes. Um, shakeout.org has a lot of information, preparedness information, and links to our Canadian um, Shakeout uh, family, which includes, of course, Quebec and British Columbia and, and, uh, and Yukon and other provinces and territories. So there are a lot of links on the Shakeout uh, website. And, it, you know, it's always important to check with your local community. So that's where you'll find your best local preparedness information, whether it's for earthquakes or tsunamis or, or other hazards. But checking with your local community and, um, and seeing what's, what's available and, and uh, what, what, what's there. Sounds good. We'll add um, some of those links in our description, uh, episode description below. Um, John, you are very active on Twitter yourself, uh, especially when it comes to information on earthquakes. Did you want to give out your handle if listeners want to start following you? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Joel. Um, I am uh, Earthquake Guy, so it's just all one word, Earthquake Guy. And uh, it's, it's Twitter is a great way to, to share information uh, about recent events and to collect information. And there are seismologists around the world um, who are, are active on Twitter. So it's, it, you know, from a, for science, it's, a, it's actually a great tool for sharing information and, and uh, advancing, advancing our earthquake science. Perfect. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time to talk to us today. You're most welcome, Joel. Thanks, thanks for this. So this is the end of the episode. But like always, it doesn't mean it's the end of our conversation. If you have any follow-up questions for our experts, get on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCan. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the scientific work that we do at Natural Resources Canada, check out our online magazine called Simply Science. We have a ton of great content for you, including articles, videos, and previous episodes of this podcast. If you check out the podcast page for this episode, we'll have links available to any relevant material so you can learn more about what we talked about today. The best way to find Simply Science is either to Google it or click on the banner from our website at nrcan.gc.ca. And if you like this episode and you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, please leave a review and subscribe so you can check out any previous or future episodes. That's it for us today. Thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.